Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, isn't it, kids? Oh, yeah. Tis the season. Yeah. Oh, it's so snowy. I know. I'm, en- I'm enjoying. Uh, this is the part where I think Christmas is fun. Yeah. You know, where the snow Enjoy seems- it before everything goes away and then we have desolate months of cold. And- <laughs> right. Before <laughs> and dry dreariness, air, No darkness. holidays. Chap. Everything. Right. Before this becomes a desolate hellscape. Uh, I'm enjoying the lights. Like cloth. Holiday cheer. Yay. Yes, I'm enjoying some holiday cheer. We don't even have any tauntauns or anything. We don't have have tauntauns, (laughs) but we do have eggnog. Yeah. Mm, Eggnog. I wasn't a big fan of eggnog until I discovered Fireball Whiskey. And uh, that seems to make eggnog way better. Just a tip. All right. In in Radioland. Okay. Hey, uh, Allison's joining Wendy and I today. Thanks for coming by, Allison. It's great to be back, guys. Yes, it, it's always good to have you. And uh, and today, since we're talking about Christmas, uh, and it's a Christmassy feeling, we thought we would talk about, uh, you know, probably, I'd say, an ignored bit of Christmas folklore. And that's that's Santa's worker elf. Oh, the, the unrecognized hero. Yeah. He sits and makes well, toys I- all day long. Right, well, the unorganized labor. Do you think Santa's a union buster? <laughs> I do. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just saying. That makes me sad. Well, well, it's not like they can go elsewhere, you know? Like, where are they going to get work? That, it's a pretty specialized skill. Oh, right. Are they going to get like jobs? It's like a Christmas sweatshop. <laughs> <laughs> are they, are they going to get jobs in China? You know they're paying them less than they'd make in the North Pole. Exactly. So, oh man. Yeah. So I'm just saying, uh, I feel like the elves haven't gotten their due. So we're gonna make sure they get their due today. <laughs> Yay! All right. Well, when you think about Christmas elves, Wendy, what's the first thing you? I think, think of the movie Elf with Will Ferrell, and I think of okay. um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the special that we used to watch as kids. That and that and Frosty mm-hmm. the Snowman. But I think Rudolph is the one that has the one little elf plays a key role in it. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I totally know what you're talking about. Hey, here's something interesting I learned this week. So Gene Autry made Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer famous in like 1949. The next year, they wrote another Christmas song for him to capitalize on that. And that was Frosty the Snowman. Really? Oh. Okay. Yeah, so when we complain about manufactured pop music, uh, well, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman are just examples of that same... They were churned out of the machine. Yep, that Dr. Luke, Max Martin train that now is giving us Taylor Swift and Rihanna gave us Gene Autry in the 1940s. Allison, what do you think of when you think of elves? Well, you know what? I love the Fae, as I've made clear on many a podcast. And so, of course, I always think of the real stories of elves... And I think we're going to talk about some of those today and, yeah. you know, how how they can be whimsical, but also fearsome creatures. You don't want to make them mad. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. true. And I think about Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> okay, how does that relate to Dungeons and Dragons? Please share. 
Well, because elf is one of the races you can pick in Dungeons and Dragons. So you can pick several races. You can be a human. Um, you can be a halfling. You can be an elf. Um, in the in the basic game of D and D, and so uh, that's kind of when I first. I mean, besides the Lord of the Rings, that's kind of yeah. When well, I first of course, thought about I thought elves. I was going with the Christmas thing, because you know, yes. in the Rudolph movie, it's Hermie. Hermie is the the elf that <laughs> he wants to be a dentist, but no, Santa has him tightly in his grips as a slave, basically making toys, and he's trying to escape, thereby. <laughs> Going, thereby continuing the discussion we yeah. yeah like it's totally in line with our our fact that santa is a union buster <laughs> no but he's uh, right <laughs> um well santa's capital of elves are labor and Karl marx tells us what happens when they come into conflict but you're right there's more to elves than just christmas and between the fae and all of the science fiction you know with the dungeons and dragons and with of course tolkien and and his many mm-hmm. elves we've got a lot of ground to cover here Yes, we do. Well, we all grew up in the same area, uh, in the Milwaukee area of Wisconsin. And so, did your parents ever make you listen to Billy the Brownie, Wendy? No. <laughs> what are you okay. talking about? Our mom's still making us listen. Our mom still makes us Billy listen the to Billy the Brownie. He sounds yummy. Billy the Brownie is a ty- no. A brownie <laughs> is a type of Scottish fairy. Oh. So it, it fits into the whole, except they don't say like brownie, like, you know, like a chocolate brownie. They say like brownie. <laughs> and so that obviously sounds more. Like a brownie. Oh. Like, a, like a brownie. Like, yeah, like <laughs> a little pony aficionado. So, okay. So Billy the, Bro- Billy the brownie. Uh, but they had this little show on WTMJ on the radio in the 1950s and, and, and late 40s. And people would write letters to Billy the Brownie, and Billy the Brownie would give them updates from the North Pole on WTMJ, and mom listened to it as a little girl. Was it exciting for you to listen to as a child? Well, no. she made me listen. <laughs> she, no. I thought Aww. it was stupid. I mean, because it's, it's, you know, it's like watching how... It's like, how old were you? Like eight or nine. It was like watching Howdy well, Doody. okay. I mean, obviously. Yeah, it's very Howdy Doody-esque. Yeah, but... But the thing is, so Billy the Brownie is this, and that always, so Billy the Brownie is another thing I think when I think of Christmas elves. And I think even a couple of years ago at Christmas, like mom brought an old recording out and she's like, let's just all listen to Billy, indulge me and let's listen to this. And it was like 22 minutes long. And I almost tried to jump out of the hotel room, Allison. (laughs) But it was a fun thing. And you do it for mom because she wanted to uh, enjoy something that she loved as a kid. Yeah. A little nostalgia in the holidays. That's nice. Yeah. So, well, Christmas Elves with Santa Claus came out after the visit from St. Nicholas. Because in St. Nicholas, you know, they, say, they call him a jolly old elf. So That's right. Clement Clark Moore calls him a jolly old elf inside that poem. And so Louisa May Alcott in 1850, she writes a book, never gets published. She writes a book called The Christmas Elves. So the, the woman that brought us Little Women... Uh, was ahead of her time with the with a, her book, The Christmas Elves. And then in 1873, the most popular magazine, like in the United States or whatever, is called Godie's or G-O-D-E-Y, Godie's Ladies Book. And they had a, like the front illustration or whatever, is Santa surrounded in, by a workshop full of elves. So they created that modern illustration of what we think of is Santa, you know, overlording over the elves and making them work. So interesting. Yeah. So Where did just, people think fu- the gifts came from before the whole elf factory of toy making existed? 
I don't know. Like if like Santa had I like guess he's a magic. credit card. Yeah. Like was he just it the stork? <laughs> the stork the stork brought the food and the babies and Santa delivered them. So this Godie's Ladies book or whatever kind of invented our modern idea about Santa Claus and elves. And of course, elves have been in every Santa movie like you were talking about, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Wendy. And I think of Santa Claus the movie where Dudley Moore plays yeah. like Santa's lead elf. And then, of course, the Will Ferrell oh, movie where... that's um, the best. <laughs> yeah, where Bob Newhart is the, is the head elf. <laughs> and that is, that is a pretty... I, you know, I hadn't seen it since it came out or whatever, and I watched it again last year, and... Uh, it's a good. It's a really good movie. It's I'm like, oh, I, really, I really like this movie, and I don't like Will Ferrell as a leading man. I'll tell. I'll say. Oh, it right we've there. been through this. Will Ferrell, yeah, I, yeah. He cannot pull off a film on his own. Sorry, but he he really nailed it. Nelf. That's all I'm saying. So Christmas elves. That's that's where we start. We need to start at a place because it's the Christmas the season. season. You guys can. Then you guys can all be like, yeah, I know what a Christmas right. elf is. Of course, I know about you know Hermie, the poor. Uh, oppressed to be a dentist. dentist. That's all I wanted to do was be a dentist. And Santa crushes my dreams eighteen hours a day. Escape from Santa (laughs) to be able to fulfill his dream. (laughs) Right. Right. This is a kid's thing. Uh, Well, I mean, obviously the writers were just talking about the the soul crushing nine to fives that we all had to eventually get into. But okay. So I think about Dungeons and Dragons. That Dungeons and Dragons stuff is really inspired by Tolkien. You know, yep. most. I was mo- gonna say, you know, you said Dungeons and Dragons, but I mean, um, you know, you're you're a, a ringer, so I was kind of surprised by that. Oh well, I just that's the first thing I think of is Dungeons and Dragons, but I know that everything comes from Tolkien. Like the the characters you can play in the Dungeons and Dragons game are all just ripped straight out of, you know, The Hobbit and Middle Earth. Because you could be a dwarf and mid- Middle Earth. You can be a dwarf, an elf, a halfling equals hobbit, uh, or a human, or or you can play Tom Bambadil and waste everybody's time. <laughs> every you can show up every fifteen minutes and sing a song. Dude just wants uh, to have fun. He does just want to have fun, but the Middle Earth needs saving here. We need to get to Mordor, and here, you know, it's like oh god, it's like the it's like the show you have to watch you before to your favorite it. show comes on. I guess we don't. Yes, we don't have to do that anymore because everything's streaming. But all right, so where do these elves come from? You know, where did we get the idea of this? So, elf is a, a word like old Germanic word. Yeah. So, so we think of Germanic languages. That's English is a Germanic, even though German is obviously a Germanic language. The Scandinavian languages. So, the, when you think of a family of languages, they all come from this re- region. Um, they call the Germanic languages. In Europe, right? So elf is one of those words. And it's basically used to describe, well, the main meaning was white person. All right. All right? Oh. And it's, and it's not white person like in a 21st century idea of white person. Because when you're talking about, you know, the negative first century or whatever in Scandinavia, most people are white people. So why would they call elf a white person? It's because they, like to them, white had a connotation of beautiful. Like the word white, the color white, had a connotation of beautiful. So mm. the elves weren't just like little uh, munchkin, like dwarf gnomes kind of things. They were beautiful, stately, kind of like Tolkien's. Right. Elves. And it's funny because 
Now, Allison, I know you don't watch Game of Thrones, but when do you do? And this isn't a spoiler. And this isn't a spoiler for anybody out there because it's the first, you know, it's it's the first scene of the first episode of Game of Thrones. But they show a White Walker, otherwise known as in the book, they're known as the Others. But they decided and it's not to beautiful. <laughs> well, they, well, that's the thing. So in in the book, uh, the way that George R. R. Martin envisioned the White Walkers, the Others, uh, was not as like zombie lich kings like they are in the TV show. He envisioned envisioned them as perfect looking white frosty creatures, like elves. So elves are not are not only the basis for like Tolkien's uh, inspiration. It's also the inspiration for the White Walkers in the Game of Thrones. Wow, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, that's a connection I just nice. made today from that white people, beautiful person elf to. Uh, reading about how George Martin was, he's like, well, actually, hi, envisioned the others, and then he's like, oh, I'll never finish uh, your last book. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> yes, it's kind of how it went. And also, what's funny is that how Elf is really popular in the English language, in like old English. They use that to describe, you know, all these creatures. And then eventually, as we get to the Middle Ages, it kind of falls out of favor. So people start using words that are more close to their culture. So in Germany, they start using the word zwerk or zwerk. They use the word zwerk. Um, and that means like a dwarf in German. And huldra, hidden person. They start using that in Scandinavia. And then in English, we start using the word fairy. So fairies becomes an interchangeable word with elf and fairy comes from the French. Fairy. Right. So. Fairy. Oh, le, le fairy. <laughs> But what I think it's interesting is because, so they talk about elves like Chaucer, you know, in the, in the Canterbury Tales talks about elves, and he relates them to incubi and succubi. Yeah. So, so it, it's interesting that there was um, something uh, that was trending this week about a, a woman who, uh, I think she was a Brit, reportedly uh, said that, that she... Um, gave up relations with men because she had more fun with um, ghosts. Uh, and uh, I found an article from, you know, a few years ago, which had a woman who had the same experience with elves in Iceland. Oh, and, and also the had... Hippity -dippity. Yeah, had also decided she would swear off men in favor of elves. And I, I just was startled by how similar the stories were. You know, that's interesting, Allison, you talk about that because like we're sitting there going like, all right, who's going to boink an elf or whatever? But it's a, uh, it's a whole thing. As part of the original uh, stories about elves, um, yeah. they're very sensual creatures. That's right. And, and they, uh, you know, they were beautiful creatures. And uh, there's lots of stories about people wanting to wed elves and uh, different uh, sagas yeah. uh, having to, to do with that, like um, like a woman falling in love with with an uh, um, oh. with an elfin knight, and yeah, and uh, like he was playing he, he was playing his horn, <laughs> and as you do, yeah, and this attracted her, and. Uh, but he he had uh, elaborate tasks that he gave her um, if if she wanted his hand in marriage that she had to complete like this list of impossible tasks. I did and that for then, my wife too. 
<laughs> she she uh, came back at him with with her own list of impossible tasks, and uh, somehow this pleased him, and wow. uh, he agreed to the marriage. Mm. Well, and and you know that's funny. We talk about you. You don't think of these. You think of Santa's elves. You don't think of Santa's elves like. Hey baby, what are you doing tonight? You know, but, oh, but the story, right? No, like, like, like little Mrs. Hermie. Claus. Yeah, little like little Hermie sneaks off with Mrs. Claus. He's like, oh come on hey, now, into the workshop. Well, for starters, uh-huh. they don't have any time to go out and party. That's true. Yeah, because they're always working. Because of that There's slave like driver a day. Yeah, that's true. I guess they don't have time for a lot of love. Um, no social life uh, for those unlike, guys. They are just building toys constantly. Unlike these these elves that we hear about. Well, it's funny that most of the, the uh, elvish stories that we hear are actually Christian writers who are writing about them, and they're trying to t- really they're trying to take the pagan beliefs and put them into Christian theology. So they're trying to integrate elves into Christianity, and they do that by just calling them demons. Basically. Uh. Basically, when they talk when when they talk about elves in medieval texts, and they're discussing the beliefs, the, the you know the pre-Christian beliefs in Scandinavia, they're just yeah. like, "Yep, yeah, Satan." <laughs> Could it be? Well, I, you <laughs> know, I, I think I think there was a there was you know definitely uh, that idea that elves were another race and maybe not created by God, or you know. Uh, an idea about the hidden people as to you know why they became hidden is that these were Eve's other children and she tried to hide them from God and then God said well you know what you have hidden from God I will now hide from man and he made them invisible so that's one of the um folkloric ideas as to you know where the hidden people in Icelandic culture may have come from well i think it's interesting too that um they think of elves and these hidden people the people that we can't see who live alongside us as wanting to make us sick that elves had little weapons they had invisible arrows they would hit us with oh man and they would say you know you get getting full of elf shot that that was an illness like you would be right you'd be sick and that you were shot by an elf yeah Oh man! Next time I'm feeling under the weather, though, I'm gonna be right. I mean, have well, <laughs> you're gonna call in I'm elf shot. Well, oh, sorry, yeah. I'm sorry, I can't come in today. Is <laughs> Those any, elves are at it again. Is that any less believable than uh, viruses? Yeah. Well, yeah, hey, that's a lot, have, a lot less believable. Have you ever seen a virus? I'm just saying, I've never seen a virus. And yeah. so, but the thing is, everybody's trying to explain something that they can't explain. So they, you know, like, well, it must be the elves striking you with invisible arrows. Right. And they're venom. All right, then, chief. Thanks. You know, even we get into the, the 17th century in Scotland and elves are a huge part of their witch hunts, their witch trials. Really? So, yeah. In the trial of Isabel Godey. I'm not sure if I'm saying it right. Let me say it with the Scottish accent because that's always the most appropriate. Isabel Godey. <laughs> She's a witch. That's right. Um, so Isabel Godey, uh, what happens with her is she has four different confessions. And in her different confessions, she said that she can turn herself into a hare. 
and and so to turn herself into a hare or rabbit, she would she would chant, "I shall go into a hare with sorrow and sick and Michael care, and I shall go in the devil's name, I while I come home again." And she even made up little rhymes that she would say when she was turning herself into things. And she said that the devil made elf arrows, and that um, there were little elf boys who would hang out with them um, when she'd get together with her coven, her coven, and (laughs) (laughs) she'd get together with her coven, and then they would, you know, worship the devil and uh, have relations with the devil and the whole thing. As you do. do. Like, well, like you do when you're a witch who hangs out with elf boys. A witch. And so they're they're talking about elves, and it's a big part of these Scottish witch trials that happen. Uh, I think the the king, James VI, had serious conversations with his cabinet about this problem that they had with these elves and these witches, that they were seducing women for the devil. So Santa's... Oh, I see. Like the elf was like a gateway drug. Yeah, like the elves, they're hanging out, and this you know, the elf kind of shows up, and like, hey, how you doing? I'm pretty and everything like that, and let's just, you know. And then all of a sudden, Satan shows up and is like, hey, uh, let's, you know, let's have some fun. I can, I, I can help you turn into a rabbit. So <laughs> who what doesn't want that? So this idea, hey, ladies <laughs> over here, check this out. When we think about elves today. We either think of them in the Tolkien way, or we think of them in the Christmas way, or we think of them as some kind of woodland forest spirit, you know, kind of deal. Um, but people thought of them as evil just a few centuries ago. And we'll have to get into the modern beliefs in this in a, in a second, because where elves are really hot is Iceland. <laughs> where, where it's really cold. <laughs> And That's and you've right. been there, Mike. Tell us a little bit about your experiences in Iceland. Well, I didn't. Did you see any elves? I looked around for elves. Actually, we talked about them on the tour. We took a, a few bus tours to you, you see this waterfall that's you know gigantic, and then you go to the hot spring. Awesome. Like you, you go to where the, the the geyser, where actually the word geyser was invented, because geyser is an Atlantic, uh, an Icelandic word. Nice. And you know you go to the the continental divide. No, I'm sorry. You go to the, the hemispheric divide. So you go to the place that separates the eastern and western hemisphere. Like you're like, hey, I'm in the eastern hemisphere. Hey, I'm in the western hemisphere. Uh, you're in the eastern hemisphere. No, you're in the eastern hemisphere. So <clears throat> you do that kind of stuff and you, you take these bus tours around the island. And I mean, it's a pretty scenic place. There's not a lot of trees because it's mostly lava rock there. So there really are very few you know, trees in Iceland. It kind of looks like a moonscape. <laughs> part of it I yeah mean, i heard it's it's pretty dramatic you know and it, it's transition so it's like really flat and then oh here's a mountain <laughs> yeah uh and beautiful and uh stayed in reykjavik for a few days and went to the um the hot springs like the blue lagoon which is like a, a gigantic hot tub and it's supposed to be good for your skin and everything. And I don't know if it was good for my skin, but it's like this gigantic hot tub you stay, stay in there all day and there's like a thousand people in this gigantic hot tub just gigantic natural hot tub. Oh, man. Uh, but the, the, that sounds awesome. Also, the thing about it, too, are these, there's the, these pools. Like, you're walking around, and there's just pools. And the pools have, like, water that if you put your hand, it would, like, disintegrate your hand. You know, it's, like, so scalding hot. Oh. Um, 
So, you know, be careful. You know, don't just don't just fall in the water because you might be dead. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but on the bus tour, you'd go by this area and you could see some rocks piled up and boulders. And the tour guide was funny because you know how we say, um, uh, uh, or, you know, we, we kind of hold on to words like, mm, you know, there's those little transitional words while we're thinking of what to say. All right. The vocalized pauses. Yeah, the uh, the tour guide in Iceland, his vocalized pause was orga. <laughs> and so cool. he'd be speaking in English, he'd be like, you know, talking about like, and this is where we think the elves is, orga. <laughs> and, then went, and it got to be that I couldn't even, I wasn't even listening to the tour. I was just, <laughs> that's the only word you hear. All I hear was... And so this is where the, the first geyser was, Org, uh, and you, <laughs> you're like, what is going on? And so, um, but I can see that because there's so many parts of the island that are desolate. And the thing is, you know, even Reykjavik or the entire island of, of Iceland is probably like three, it's like the size of Madison with the students when the students are here. Wow. You know, it's like 300,000, between three and 400,000 people. So um, it's not this, you know, big, it's like the size of Racine, Alice, in Racine, Wisconsin, which is between yeah. Milwaukee and Chicago. And so it's just not a huge place. And it's a, it, can you imagine them being very isolated in the 11th century? You know, when they first got yeah. there, you know, the, when the Vikings got there and they're thinking that it takes, take the place over and there's nobody to take over the place from besides the elves. Well, and, and that's the thing. People say, you know, I think even the Icelandic prime minister uh, said at one point, he said, well, when we got here, there wasn't that many people. So we doubled the population of our island with stories. Oh, well, there you go. That works. Well, you know, that's really charming and everything. But um, <laughs> hey, Icelanders really do believe in elves. And there's been numerous polls that show that, um, well, it's there's a, a figure that cited, you know, 54% uh, believe in elves, but that's not exactly accurate uh, because it was like 54% won't deny their existence. Fair enough. And like 8% definitely believe. And then uh, there's, there's other polls, uh, like there's one from 98 that said around 50% of men and 60% of women believe. There's no question that there is a strong belief there, you know, no matter what kind of percentage you put on it. And I think there's pressure from the outside world not to believe, but... There's also this strong pull towards something else, you know, that, that people are like, well, just in case, I'm not going to deny their existence because I don't want to make them mad. Well, you know, and I love the fact that Iceland, they have this, um, I can't even pronounce the, the, the classic Icelandic saga about the uh, light elves and the dark elves, mm. the Ejoselfar and the and so there's the elves who live above ground and the elves who live underground and the elves who live above ground are the pretty white elves they're the good looking ones and the ones who live below ground are the evil looking ones and mm. Dungeons and Dragons has that too they have the dark elves the drow who live below ground and then also uh, Thor 2 the dark world uh, Christopher Eccleston the, the 
Ninth Doctor played uh, the head of the Dark Elves fighting Thor. And that would that anyway, don't bother with Thor too. It's not even that good. Uh, <laughs> it's oh, forgettable. It, Spoiler alert. It's a waste of Christopher Eccleston, who I think he, he was obviously awesome. Yeah. But the thing is the Icelanders I mean, they still do believe and they even have an elf school. Yeah. There. I, and, you know, did you go to the elf school, Mike, when you were no, there? I did not even hear oh, about man. the elf school. And oh, to think, that'd be so fun. And, well, I, what, Field trip. I totally would have paid to go to the elf school. I do not think I could have convinced Chris to go to the elf school she'd be like we're gonna maybe maybe she, maybe she'd be like all right if they have elf beer we can go to the elf school um, they have pancakes elf cakes <laughs> i'm they, sure they do they give you, you all kinds of little treats i'm not sure about beer but they have pancakes that sounds good well maybe they'll give you uh one thing they do is they have they like freeze sharks oh they, no they dip not that the, they dip the shark meat into vodka, uh, and then you. I thought it. I thought it was just fat. It's just shark fat. There's some, and it's like partially rotten or something. Like oh. it's some. Yeah. Okay, that sounds great. Yes. That's what they give you at the elf school. Yeah. <laughs> you. That's snack time. You want to be a Viking or <laughs> forget the forget the carton of chocolate milk and graham crackers. Right. We, you're getting some shark fat. We make you hard. Yeah. Putrid, putrid shark fat. <laughs> well, Rotten uh, shark. But they have a uh, they have the elf school. Uh, anthropologist Magnus Skarbedinson. Uh He's the guy that's collected all the accounts. We emailed him to be on this show. He didn't get back to me because, but I think he's the most popular Icelander in the world uh, this week because everybody wants to know about the Elf School. Um, and he's like, I do. He's like, there's no doubt that they exist. And he just talks about the witnesses that he has met and accounts that he has collected of people that see elves. One, there's a story of. Uh, a woman who knew a fisherman who was able to see elves who would also go out to see the fish. And this is from the South China Morning Post. That's where I get all my news. Um, <laughs> and had, they had an interview with, with Magnus uh, a couple years back. One morning, February 1921, the fishermen noticed that they weren't heading out to sea. And he tried to convince the other fishermen not to go out either. But the boss would not let them stay on shore. There was a violent storm. But the fisherman who heeded his warning and stayed close to shore returned home safe and sound. And uh, so what happens is that the guy does not see the elves go out to sea for their day of fishing. And he's like, I think there's something up. And then what happens is that day is when it's the violent storm and people almost die. So it was like, wow. But it goes back to the idea that they treat elves as invisible people who live right beside us. Right, and and, so, and you have to, and you have to, you know, have a relationship with them. Uh, and if you do, uh, good things can come out of it. Or if you do something to offend them, really bad things. Right. Okay, so Wendy did find uh, the world's most disgusting food. Because we have a friend who's who's tried it before, and he told me about it. Yeah. The shark fat that's like buried. They bury it or something. Yeah, a Carl shark. So you probably hear that the traditional way of fermenting the shark is to bury it in the ground and then urinate on it before letting it rot for some oh. months. That's they not, didn't say urinate on it, did they? That's, yeah, it does. This is not it true. Actually says that. Oh, well, the urinating bit is true, but the shark doesn't rot, it ferments. And urine is no longer used <laughs> in this process. 
because we have thank goodness. we have other things to help things ferment besides our our, our urine. Oh. And, but um, the shark does smell ammonia, and that's where the myth comes from. Because of the curing process, which goes for, uh, they bury the shark underground, then they hang it to dry for four to five months. Um, yeah. And so that sounds for, uh, not so delicious. Fermented shark. Would you try it if, like, if you were there and somebody? You know, I'm not sure. I, I was comfortable with eating scorpions uh, uh, because there's plenty you of bugs ate a in the scorpion, world. Mike. Yeah. When when was this? That's nasty. Somebody had this thing called the scorpion shot, and it was something you add to a shot, and it was just a, a scorpion, a dead scorpion, and you eat the scorpion, you take the shot. Uh, so gross. Oh, was and it salty? S- kind of like tequila, you know, when there's a, the worm in the tequila, it's a, kind of a similar concept. Yeah, the scorpion. It, I mean, it was just crunchy. It was just like having. Ew. It, it was like having a pretzel in your shot. Except that pretzel was a scorpion. <laughs> it's just crunchy. Okay. But not salty. No, nah, not really. I mean, it depends on what you drink well, with, probably. It was, it, yeah. was kind of in like a sweet solution, too. So like whatever you put it in kind of had a sweet flavor. You could have different, oh, different rice. It's, it's kind of like scorpion brittle. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But it was liquid, though. It wasn't scorpion. like a crunchy. Like, it wasn't like brittle like you crunch into it like a peanut brittle. It was, it was a shot. So it was like alcohol, basically. Scorpion brittle. Anyway, <laughs> the shark. Somebody should know. make that. I'd probably, Wendy would, I would Wendy probably would try it. it. Yeah. I would try it if I was over there and it was like a once in a lifetime, you know. Just to say you but did it. I'm, yeah. And to not be rude if it's like a cultural thing and they, they're like, oh, is this, you know, something important. Right. Like if you don't, like, if you okay. don't do this, we're all going to be very Icelandically offended and we're going to feed you to the elves. We're going to be. <laughs> right, right, and we're gonna like hold it against all of America, <laughs> you close-minded <laughs> Americans. Okay, well, all right. Well, well, Magnus runs this school, and I read the whole article about like what happens in Elf School, and they basically just talk about legends. And oh, do they get I to would wear totally pointy love shoes? that. Well, do they get to what, Wendy? Like, do you get to wear pointy shoes? And I don't know if everything the, when you go to Elf School. No pointy shoes. Come on. Um, but you do like, I think they try to teach you a little bit of, because the thing is most of the people that say they can see elves are like people that say they're psychics. That's true. Yeah. So the people that say they can see it are people that have like a special affinity. So they're not teaching you to be an elf. They're teaching you to, to see elves. like communicate with elves. Yeah. Well, they have this thing called the elf whisperer. Ooh. And I just watched an interview with her and it was pretty interesting. Um, so Raga, Yon's daughter, uh, she says she can speak with elves and she goes to this place um, that she's like the elf park and she goes to the elf park and she's like, oh, that's where they live. And oh, that's her house. And, you know, her house is bigger on the inside and the outside. So it's like a, it's uh, like a TARDIS. TARDIS. But she says like, okay, that the hidden folk and the elves are different people because uh, Iceland also have these uh, huldefolk, um, these hidden folk. Uh, that's a completely different legend for a different time. But that's the thing. And so she says that she talks to elves and she takes people on little tours and she'll make herbal tea that she says the elves help make the leaves or they help grow the leaves for the tea. Mm, and that sounds yummy. so you can spend the day and, and she says she talks with, she talks to elves through telepathy and meditation. That sounds really cool. Um, you know, yeah, it does. one thing that Magnus has said 
um, is that in other countries, this is a quote from him, with Western scientific arrogance and the denial of everything, <laughs> right, that they have not discovered themselves, they say that witnesses are subject to hallucinations. So, and I think it would be easy to just scoff at the psychic, for example, but I think you got to really appreciate that there's other ways to experience the world than, you know, through science. I mean, science is awesome, but it's not the only view. Like the westernized view is not the only view of the world. And, you know, there are other views of the world, too. Uh, And, you know, they all have they all have their their pros and cons. I agree. I mean, I just said I would eat fermented shark. (laughs) Right. Yeah, you you did. No, but you're right though. That's that's part of, you know, traveling. Part of the appeal of it is being able to experience different cultures and different viewpoints and different yeah. things outside of our standard beliefs that we've been raised with. Yeah. It's exciting to find things like that that are so far off from uh, what we've been traditionally told. Well, you got to take I think you got to take the it. you got to take yeah. the the parts that are that are most I'd say beneficial out of each. So like believing in elves is, is neat and it can be fun and thinking that there's elves in the elf park is great. But at the same time, thinking that elf shot causes people to be sick instead of viruses can be very harmful to people. So you have to take well, a little, you got to take a little yeah. bit of each and say like, okay, it's interesting that in 1996, and this is, the, I take this mysterious universe article where they're talking about mysterious encounters with fairy tale creatures. So 1996, bulldozers are attempting to level a hill um, in Kerpeverger. That's my <laughs> my Icelandic, I, I, and I apologize to any Icelanders out there. Uh, you have a beautiful country, but I'm butchering your language. A Reykjavik. In, <laughs> in in order to make way for the construction of a graveyard, strange things began to occur. According to a bulldozer operator, Hjorter Hjartarson, during the operation, two bulldozers continually malfunctioned, even though there was no discernible reason, and inspections turned up no problems with the machines. In addition to these equipment breakdowns, news crews who arrived at the scene claimed that their cameras would mysteriously cease functioning when trained on the hill, even though they worked as expected anywhere else. Um, The stubborn problems dogged the construction team so relentlessly that specialists were brought in to try and communicate with the elves, after which the machinery started working normally again and the bulldozers would allegedly have no further mishaps. Similarly, in 2013... Various equipment failures created hurdles for the building of a road from the Alftanes Peninsula to Garderbjör, a suburb of Iceland's capital, Reykjavik. There are also a mining operation in 2011. Are, are you saying Reykjavik on purpose, Mike? Yes, Reykjavik. I know. I mean, <laughs> uh, you just want to. You just want to make things difficult. Yeah, I thought it was a joke the first time, yeah. and then I'm like, he knows it. Right? No, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> There was also a mining operation in 2011 that was scrapped to a never-ending series of strange malfunctions and mishaps. Now, I've read about that 1996 uh, Icelandic thing because that, that one is really well documented. There's a whole bunch of different places where you can see interviews with people and stuff. They talk about, yeah, they're uh, like nothing was working. And then wow. the seer, the seers came in who said they could talk to elves and then things started working. Yeah, and cool. and this actually goes back further than that to like the 30s and 40s. There were, were similar uh, problems with road construction projects. Uh, and man, they, they just uh, had so many uh, problems with equipment, like drills breaking down, just, 
you know, everything you can possibly think of, you know, just things constantly breaking. Now, I know that kind of stuff is just easy to blow off. But Mike and I have both had our own experiences now with equipment malfunctioning uh, in mysterious circumstances where you're like... Eyewitness reports. Yeah, where you're like, come on now. (laughs) This can't be real. What people tell me, I mean, it's just they don't know their technology, right? And then it happens to you and you're like, ah, it's another thing that I thought I knew. I'm scoffing about it. And then it happens to you. And then you take the equipment into another environment. It works perfectly fine. Um, I think we've both had that experience. And oh, yeah. hey, you know, the, the thing is, things like this do happen. And it's easy for you when you're not there to say, oh, you know, it must have been this or that. When you're on the scene and stuff keeps breaking down, hey, you know, I, I don't. I think it's unscientific uh, at some point to to be like, oh, there's a perfectly reasonable explanation for this. Well, really? Uh, well, well, at the same, I mean, <laughs> there there are things uh, that could cause it. It doesn't necessarily have to be. If it was my brain that's causing it, though, that too, like that, that's the thing. Like if your if your brain is able to make a battery drain. Right. then that's supernatural in itself. Not necessarily supernatural, right. but that's paranormal. That's beyond our understanding. Well, okay, so so two weeks ago we talked about how Santa Claus is real uh, because there's actually been Santa Claus sightings and we you know, we talked about how, how Santa Claus might be a tulpa. Yeah, um, and I saw the tooth fairy. And Wendy for real saw the tooth fairy. What? Yeah. I missed what, that one. We'll go back and listen to the episode Santa is real and you'll see how Wendy... Uh, proved episode one seventy three. Wendy proved the tooth fairy is real. Everybody, so <laughs> so don't bother putting don't bother putting the money into your kids' uh, pillows tonight because Wendy's taking care of it. Uh, oh no, I'm just. Yeah, but okay, so definitely. we were talking about the about.com uh, paranormal phenomena expert Stephen Wagner, and he was the guy that was collecting the real stories of Santa Claus. All right, so uh, also on his page. He talked about a woman named KT. That was she just she just gave her initials, so that's always suspect when somebody's like, "Well, here's my initials are, you know, AH or whatever." Um, she was living in Greensburg, Pennsylvania. She said she'd been walking through the woods when she came upon an area that looked just a little different than she was used to. Something ethereal, shimmery, she said. So maybe she saw like a a vampire from Twilight out there or something like that. <laughs> um, you know, like uh, Team Edward was out there. Continuing on, she then found herself, quote, face to face with a tiny, quote, elf looking man with pointy ears and a pointy cap. When she startled and she yelled, he vanished without a trace. So we've had elf sightings in the United States. Oh, yeah. Another guy talks about elves wandering his farm at night in Tennessee. And this is from like 2015. Uh, Yeah. a Reddit user talked about, and, and so I, re- I talk about how I read the Reddit paranormal uh, page all the time, and then there's usually nothing good. But um, this guy was talking about how he's been spending time on a farm, and he saw like little creatures running around at night. And he's like, they got to be elves, man. Well, Mike, I don't know if you remember, but we have a, a musician friend who told us a story about, I don't know if you'd call it an elf, but. She was traveling through Wisconsin. Wait, hold, out in the country. Hold on, let's get. I don't quite know if I remember this. A lot of the stories we hear from our musician friends are when I'm, in, I'm musically inclined, which means I'm drinking. So, what would be what? what what's the story, Wendy? Let's hear it. 
Well, we were in Merrill, Wisconsin, which is north of Wausau. So it's basically and, North Pole. Uh, yeah. <laughs> staying at our friend, the the booking agent's house. Yes. And he often has other musicians crashing there as well. And uh, this this other musician told us that while she was traveling, she looked up, she was driving down one of those rural roads, you know, very out in the country. And she saw what appeared to be a man, but was like a quarter scale version of a man Wow! off on the side of the road. And she said, I swear it was a person, but it was just like a shrunken down person, like a tiny little man. Now I remember. Do you this. remember yes, that story? Remember okay, story. all right. Because okay. I was I was blown away by because you know it was very earnest when she told us, and she was, you know, not intoxicated or altered state of mind at right. the time when it happened. She was driving and she was sober, and this is what she saw and that she told us about. So yeah, perhaps there's elves in Wisconsin lurking around. Well, I sure I hope think so. The country. I think there are because you know as we were talking about, um, you know these. Elven legends of, uh, you know, the Anglo-Saxon, the uh, Germanic peoples, the uh, Icelandic and Scandinavian peoples. Uh, that's not the only place that has beliefs beliefs in elves uh, in Ooh. in um, the little people. So that's the thing. That's the thing that gets me is when there are these strong cross-cultural connections and we have those in the United States uh, among the Native people. Uh, So many different tribes all over the United States and also in Wisconsin have belief in the little people. And when you hear them describe, uh, you know, what these little people are like, Oh man, it is so it is so close to, you know, what you would hear, you know, in Ireland or what you would hear oh, cool. in Iceland. So this idea that there are these little people that live among us and uh many of the native tribes, not all, but because you can't make that sweeping generalization, but but many do have um a protective relationship going with uh, the little people instead of, you know, thinking that they're very frightening, uh, thinking that they are your protectors. So um, there are stories in many cultures of these little people being protective, but you do need to remember to lay out offerings and thank them for what they do. Uh, Otherwise, you know, in, in the um, stories we've been talking about of European derivation, you know, you get into significant trouble if, if you don't thank them properly. Uh, and I, I, I don't know exactly what, what happens in, in Native cultures, but I would think it would be similar. But yeah, there's, there's this definite belief that you uh, will um, lay out corn cakes, berries, uh, meat for uh, the little people to thank them for what they do. And that's very, very important. Yeah. When we talked to Lapaka um, from Mysteries of Hawaii, he, he talks yeah. about stories of the Hawaiian, the Menahuni. That's right. And, and the other thing too is, you know, not only have um, these little people held up construction in Iceland, but uh, they've held up construction in, in Ireland as well on certain roads. And uh, also in Hawaii, when road construction projects uh, 
were uh, were being contested. Uh, many of them were contested because of the many Huni be, uh, being active in that area. Uh, and then also in in our country, there have been uh, native tribes who have um, who have sounded opposition against different projects again uh building projects that would interfere with the little people so the 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 cross-cultural connections are so strong and there's so much similarity among cultures that you know probably didn't have any contact well it's interesting and of course like is the the fact that so many different cultures over time you know, and who had no contact with each other have stories of little people. It's the same thing. So some people are, are protective, like the Cherokee, the the Yunwi Tsunsi. I'm obviously butchering that, but the Cherokee tradition of little people, they're protective like you were talking about. They can be very mercurial, like the Menahuni, so they can help you when you're sweet to them. And they can cause problems when you try to put an overpass or whatever over their place. And there's uh, the Shoshone uh, Numeragar, who are aggressive the the name uh, means people eaters in the language, <laughs> and so uh, you know there's there's difference. So the little people they're more like they sound more like the haunches, in that they're kind of evil. Uh, the the Shoshone legends maybe not evil, but uh, they're very aggressive. In that once a once an Amerigar uh, was no longer contrib- contribute to his tribe, well they killed him with a single blow to the head, and so that was it. Well you can't help you're done boom. Uh, and things like that. So like they sound like the Klingons of the Shoshone, like little Klingons is how I think about <laughs> them. Is that, you know, you know, you're no good, so we kill you. And when you're talking about the Irish elves and the Irish kind of fairies there that have interfered with uh, the construction of the roads and stuff, what was that movie that came out a couple years ago? Was it the- Are you talking about the, the Hollow? Yeah, the Hollow is a perfect yeah. example of how you can see. It really gets to like, oh, fairies are cute and it's Tinkerbell and stuff. And it's like, yeah. What do you think about this? It's more about <laughs> right. it's more about fairies, you know, and, and how they would steal children and change them out. And we we'll have to do a whole episode on changelings sometime because that's more of the, the the sicko aspect of the fae. Right. And you know, like I said before, um, before we talked to Jeffrey Holder about poltergeists, I really thought about fairies as like okay, like that's Arthur Conan Doyle was just he'd believe anything, you know. Right, the Cottingley fairies. Right, he'd just be like, "Look at those fairies; these are completely real." I'm a, I am a great believing walrus, <laughs> and so that's just what he did all the time. He just believed whatever people would say. He just wanted to believe so badly uh, that he would do that. But then you think, well, there's a reason that people thought that fairies existed, and maybe it's because these weird poltergeist-like phenomena were happening, and that. They fairies don't care about your morale. They're like an H.P. Lovecraft character, not a character, but H.P. Lovecraft, the the antagonists, the, the elder gods, and everything. It's not that they're amoral or they're evil. They just don't. They have no sense of human morality whatsoever. They're completely alien, and that's how I think about these elves and fairies. I think about them like that. The Hollow is an excellent example of that. Right. So uh, yeah, that that you know they're running, uh, you know, completely different uh algorithm than we are you know they're they're just going about things in a way that we can't understand but then you look at you know tribal relationships with um with the fae 
And you see, well, you know, they're getting along. So, you know, why why is it that uh, you know Western Westerners have have such trouble uh, with it? You know, Europeans have so much trouble with it when you know Native people uh, seem to be able to figure it out. But um, I know there's been uh, an embattled project in Connecticut uh, on um, Mo. Mohegan, it's not Mohican. There's there's two different tribes. There's the Mohegan tribe and the Mohican tribe, not to be confused with each other. So in Connecticut, uh, they have um, the Mohegan tribe, and uh, there are some sacred stone piles on Mohegan Hill that have been hotly contested um, over you know certain development projects in the past, uh, and the Mohicans strongly believe that uh, their uh, little people friends live in those stone piles and that these friends have, you know, protected them, you know, throughout throughout the, the centuries and, you know, they need to be preserved and that in some way, you know, if they're disrupted, uh, they'll leave or what have you. But, you know, so, so there's there's really that belief still exists here among some tribes in the United States. And it is a stated reason why, you know, certain development uh, projects are hotly contested. Well, you know, I think it's interesting. You talk about the difference between some Native American cultures, maybe not the Shoshone, but the other ones you're talking about who have yeah. these positive relationships with the little right. people and versus the, the Europeans. And I think one of the big things there is that when you talk about the, co- the, 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 the cosmology, the myths in the religions of Europeans versus the myths in the cosmology of the Indians, uh, the American Indians, is that in the European, it's a, it's a, it's a dichotomy. There's, there's God and there's Satan. And God right. is good and all loving and Satan's bad and wants to hurt you. And so anything that comes from God has to be good. Anything that comes from Satan has to be bad. And in the... Uh, the Indian cosmology, it often seems that they're much more of some things are good, some things are bad. Um, sometimes, you know, people can be, or, you know, gods and, and, and characters can be both good and bad. They're neither, they're neither completely wonderful to us or completely horrible. They can be sometimes awesome and sometimes terrifying. And Kind of like humans. Yeah, and that's even more like an Old Testament God. You know, the Old Testament right. God, we're talking about the pre-European uh, so when when it was when the Old Testament when Christ where when uh, Judaism and in the Middle East and stuff the Old Testament God is a vengeful and angry God where he's doing good stuff for the Israelites you know he loves the Israelites he's like you know what I'm gonna let you guys right on through that Red Sea come on you're coming on through the Red Sea and then when the Egyptians come through he's like I gonna kill you and then, <laughs> you know and then he's like hey uh, I'm gonna turn I'm gonna turn your wife into a pillar of salt yeah you like that now. <laughs> You like that? You shouldn't have turned around, should you? Yeah, it turned you into a pillar of salt. So the Old Testament God is much more like this. He can be wonderful. He, she, whoever. I'm, I'm betting on God's a she because she's cruel. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> gods can be, that the, the gods are, are mercurial like we're talking about fairies. So I think that the biggest problem in um, dealing with that from a, from a European perspective is often going to be the fact that it's either good or evil and, you know, not really in between kind of characters and before and i wanted to get a uh, real quick 
um, before we get to the last couple of points, which we're going to be about um, some basis for why we might have elf stories in all these different kind of cultures, um, I wanted to talk about the Alabama leprechaun. Do you guys remember that? Uh, no, tell us. No, but it sounds awesome. Okay, so this was like in, in March 2006. Uh, there, it's in Mobile, Alabama. Crichton is the, is, a, is, is the neighborhood. And somebody reports that they saw a leprechaun in a tree. And, the, you know, that, then they create this sketch. It's the sketch of the leprechaun, and it looks like, like the traditional leprechaun hat. But the sketch is, like, done by, like, a four-year-old. Like, it looks like, <laughs> like, here is the, you know, the sketch, and it's like a little face with, like, a little leprechaun hat. And they're like, well, that's what we saw up in that tree. The, the, the hat had a buckle on it? Yeah. The hat has a buckle. Uh. <laughs> and so the TV crew comes down to investigate because it's March 14th, 2006. So it's right by St. Patrick's Day, right? And the reporter's talking about it. And uh, he, st- he interviews one woman and she goes, well, it might've been a leprechaun or it could have been a crackhead. And then somebody else is like, no, I, uh. I saw his leprechaun flute. And the leprechaun no. was thousands of years old. So then... You know, the guy who talked about the flute, like he becomes memed as the flute man. Um, uh. You know, and so all these people start saying that they're talking about seeing uh, a little leprechaun up there. Uh, and they'll show the, the viral videos. We'll post, the, we'll post the, some of these videos to the, um, the show notes, uh, othersidepodcast.com slash 175, because they are ridiculous and they are funny. But uh, the, the Crichton leprechaun, the Alabama leprechaun, uh, in March of 2006, a whole bunch of people in this neighborhood in Mobile, Alabama, said that they saw a little leprechaun in a tree. And the, the TV station came out there and it just became a really, uh, I mean, a silly story that could run, you know, everybody else could run with on St. Patrick's Day of that year. And then so they'll rerun the videos by St. Patrick's Day now because they're so ridiculous. That's perfect. But it also brings up a good point that all of these different elves and folklore, they're very different from what we have in our Santa folklore. Yeah. The Santa elves are very human-like and they're very like worker bee year-round sitting there slaving away. Right. Creating toys. Oh, they must be technologically advanced because they're manufacturing like Xboxes and PS3s and all the iPhones and all that stuff, right? Think about how tiny their fingers must be in order to be able to get on those circus boards. <laughs> you know, those circuit boards, that's... Exactly. And microchips, I mean, that is really complex, minuscule work. I mean, that's not just putting a ship in a bottle or whatever. That is, I mean, that's really small. So when yeah, they... Highly technical, too. So I can imagine that uh, Santa's elves, when they do have a chance... When they get their one day off a year, December 26th, they get Boxing Day off or whatever, um, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, they probably have to rest their sore hands from all that kind of work. Like, I would and think. you think about their carpal tunnel, like they probably don't even, uh, they, they probably don't even cover that with the North Pole Health Plan anymore because they're like, look, no. that's a pre-existing condition, guys. We cannot cover this. All right. Um, uh. So... What are some possible sources of the elf legend? Well, one is a big one that came out just a few years ago, and that's Homo Floriensis. You guys remember that? Oh, yeah. That's my favorite. Yeah, I love, I love The Hobbit. Right. So they found Flores Man, Flores Man, the island of Flores uh, in Indonesia. And this was uh, somebody that would be about three point uh, or three and a half uh, foot in height. Yeah. 
That's right. And um, and I, I think actually, you know, because of the location there, which is um, in um, in Indonesia, the uh, archipelago of Indonesia, that where they also believe in orang pendek, which is the little foot. I, I think I think that they found uh, archaeological evidence of of one of those uh, orang pendeks. I think that's what the Homo Florenciensis is. But that's that's my my uh, thing. Mm-hmm. And so so you have a tiny version of a tiny human living in Indonesia. This is we found. And so surviving recent I mean, up until like fifty thousand years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're going back and forth on there, but the idea is that that it was uh, with us uh, long enough for us to notice and and make it part of our cultural memory. Because they live along, they live right alongside us, and they're. In, I mean, they wouldn't be invisible. I mean, they would be unless you look down. <laughs> right. You really got to look down. <laughs> you really got to be looking down. Even all the I time. would get to look down this time. Right. Even the ho- even a hobbit like you, Allison, uh-huh. could look down. Like the <laughs> That's hobbit. right. Ah. So the, the right I the, do love elevensies. <laughs> the halflings, the halflings of Indonesia, the Homo uh, floresiensis, um, are interesting, and I think that might be one of the possible, like you know, that stuck with us over time. That's a gene- you know, it's some kind of genetic memory. Um, even right. though I, I know there's no evidence for genetic memory, I still think it's fun to talk about. The other thing I thought was interesting was a Time magazine story from June of this year, and it talks about Williams syndrome. And what I, is that? It's a disorder caused by a genetic deletion. It affects one in every ten thousand people. So what's the quick math on that? Like point zero zero one percent, or you know, something like that. Um, I don't know. It's after hours. You can do the math. All right. Um, <laughs> no the, math for me right now. <laughs> but unique, there's really unique symptoms. They do have some intellectual challenges. So they have, they have some challenges they have to go through. It. They don't develop quite normally intellectually, but they hug everybody, number one. So that's because they kind of make up for it by being Aww. like, it's, they're oh, endearing and sweet. friendly. Um, they're they're highly musical. So, some of them so much they can be considered savants. Um witty charming like they're just like they're predisposed so this genetic deletion might mean that nobody's going to be a rocket scientist but might mean that they're a lot more fun to hang around with they hug you they're funny and also they have a distinctive set of facial features which can be described as elfin really so yeah and you can see some of these pictures of different you know kids and stuff and it's just you could see it. They just—it's a, a certain kind of facial features. So they used to call it in the 1960s when it first came out. It was called Elfin Face Syndrome, and so the researchers even in the beginning were like, "These are like elves," you know. In fact, uh, she's researching the book about the system. She talks about this one boy uh, who had Williams Syndrome and his mother. The mother was so struck by her son's resemblance to Puck, who is the elf from Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh, he's always full of mischief, and, and Puck is the um, not the guy from the real world uh, for you 90s kids, but uh, Puck is the elf from Midsummer Night's Dream. And he reminded her so much of him that she hung a picture up in, the, in their house of Puck. So that's an idea. Like that's another place where elves could be the, our idea of fairies and elves and musical, magical, whimsical, you know, might come from experience of people with Williams syndrome. And then also we talked about sexual relations with elves before. That's the kind of thing where it could be 
Well, you know why the kid turned out like that. Because it was the elf that got with mom. Mm. You know, so when you think about medieval explanations for things or how things develop, and you think about the way we think elves look like between the uh, memory of the little people that we have and elf and face syndrome, this, this Williams syndrome, certainly uh, they could put fuel to the fire of beings that live right alongside us in addition to actually weird things happening to people that have no, nothing to do with you know, Homo floresiensis or uh, Williams syndrome. It's just there's something out there that's messing with, <laughs> with our stuff. Yeah, I, I think, I think, yeah, I mean, when you have all these cross-cultural connections, I, th- I think, yeah, something's going on. And uh, I can't say what it is, but it, it's just so bizarre that stories from Hawaii and stories from um, the Native American cultures in the States can be so similar. Yeah, to, and, and Thor too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Thor too can be so similar to you know these European ideas and ideas from Iceland. Right. I don't know. I think there's something. I think there's some there there, and and I hope, and I hope I get an elfin visit tonight. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Well, the thing is, we're gonna talk more. Of this. So, so just to finish up, um, we do know somebody. Who said? I mean, first of all, we have the story of somebody who told us that they saw an elf in up north, and we also have someone that said at a convention that he saw he's got an elf living in his house. Oh, that's right. Are, are you talking about John Tenney? I am talking about uh, that weird maven, John Tenney. Yeah, one and, of my favorites. And I don't want to tell my, I don't want to tell too much about his story because I eventually want to get him on the show to talk about it himself. And it's good. Right. It's really good. And there's confirmation from our friends Greg and Dana too that said they saw it. Yeah, in a, and, in a Skype and, session. So the elf is showing up in Skype. I wonder what a Skype, I know. I wonder what a Skype name is. I I want a Skype with an elf. It's probably Ilf's, <laughs> like Ilfsjor underscore Dodderson or something. You know, it's well something Scandinavian. It does bring to light, you know, that when you're skyping with someone, you should be close attention to the background of their yeah room because it could be something there that you might catch. Right, and I'm excited too because um, John Tenney, uh, one of the secrets as to how to see an elf is to uh, eat a vegan diet, oh, which is, that. yeah, which is something, you know, that, uh, that he does and I do. So, but he was talking about it like a forest elemental kind of thing is like, you know, or an kind ele- of, yeah. an, an elemental of the woods. And that's, I mean, that, uh, that's right. That goes with the whole idea of, um, Nature spirits. So some kind of nature spirit. And that gets the same thing as the elves we're talking about. Uh, It's maybe not the satanic elves of poor uh, Isabel Gaudi in Scotland, but the other elves that we're talking about, they're nature spirits. And nature spirits can be good when you're doing stuff for them, like maybe eating vegan or, I don't know, sucking on an acorn or something like that. Or or like Finhorn, right? In Scotland, you know. The, they grew, grew like gigantic organic vegetables with the help of elves. Forgot yeah. about that. Obviously. So, uh. right. Or, or, I mean, my man Keebler is always giving me some <laughs> those delicious fudge delights. 
Uh, so anyway, or the using her elves. How do we forget about the using her elves? Oh my gosh, we're from Milwaukee. We're from Come Milwaukee. on, we did not bring up the, uh, the other elves we should be thinking about, which are the that using. make meat. Right. What the, there's <laughs> so much to talk about. Those elves, <laughs> those elves stick meat in tubes. <laughs> yep. That, well, that's their specialty. They just punch it right in there. They're the dark elves. They're the dark elves who live underground. <laughs> That's right. And you know what? I, I didn't think about either. The similarity about the light and the dark elves is also very much uh, like the LOI. And who else? Who are the bad guys in um, the time machine? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, so, uh, is it uh, um, something with an M? Mordax or something? Yes, the Morlocks and the LOI. So that is. Is that it is, Morlocks? Okay. Yeah. Something. The, the Morlocks and the LOI is totally like the, the light and dark elves. Um, from that yeah. ancient Icelandic saga, so that's that's kind of fun there too. And, and anyway, uh, this getting a year, little literary with it. Yeah, and that when we're getting too literary, that means it's time to go. So, Allison, <laughs> th- thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Mike, and thank you, Wendy, and happy holidays. Yeah, thanks guys. for being yeah, here. So everybody, you too. Make sure to keep your eyes out uh, for an elf on your shelf, uh, a real elf, not just one of those commercial things. But there might actually be a real one coming to visit you. This That's right. Christmas. <laughs> They're watching you be naughty. <laughs> for this week's song, we took a poem that was written anonymously in 1857 for Harper's Weekly, and we put some music to it. There just aren't enough Christmas songs that talk about Santa's elves. And since this poem was one of the first documents of St. Nick's sweatshop, we're excited to be the first ones to immortalize it in song. So here's Sunspot with The Wonders of Santa Claus.
Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Yes, thank you so much for listening. And an extra special thanks to our Patreon supporters. We'd love to have you join that community, and you can do so by visiting othersidepodcast.com slash donate. And we can't wait to catch up with everybody on December 27th. That's a Wednesday night, and we're going to have our live Google Hangout. Don't forget to watch your favorite holiday movies. We were talking about watching Gremlins or maybe Krampus or any other of the weird-themed holiday movies you can think of. Extra special giant thanks to our Patreon supporter, Ned, who is pledging at a level where he gets his own shout-out every podcast episode, and we are so happy to do that because, Ned, you're awesome. Have a wonderful week, and we'll catch you next time. I like his ears.